Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. How many of you find yourself from time to time getting frustrated with life? (laughs) In this Christmas season, it can be frustrating to go to the store to go shopping, to be out in traffic. I just heard today that there was a 35-car pileup on I-64. That would be frustrating. Oh, that's terrible. And uh, it, it, it can be frustrating to get through the daily difficulties, frustrating to have to continue to get up in the morning to go to work, frustrating to deal with uh, children sometimes, If we could be honest, we all get frustrated from time to time. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible is a real book that has real people in it. And when we read these stories, we have to realize that these are not just characters in fairy tales. This is not Cinderella or Lion King or a Disney adventure. These are real stories about real people. And even Jesus is a real person. And we see that in our scripture. In this story, you can almost feel, as you read it, you can almost feel the frustration. I saw a comedy routine sometime back, and uh, the person who was uh, making comments, sometimes the best truth tellers in the, in, in, the, in, in the culture are comedians. And this guy was saying that everything is amazing, and nobody's happy. And he was so true. He says, you get frustrated when your cell phone reception goes out for 30 seconds. And we often forget how amazing it is that we have the ability to communicate from around the world. And he says, can you just give it a second? It's going to space and back. Maybe 30 seconds isn't such a hard thing to ask for. You see this at the restaurant. You know, we get frustrated at the waitress because she didn't, she didn't uh, bring your eggs the right way. But can we appreciate the fact that we have a restaurant to go to? You know, uh, we get frustrated. If you've ever done any air travel, you're going through airports, that can be frustrating. You know, you, you're, you're, uh, you're in an airplane and you're up at 30,000 feet and, you know, uh, you're, you're having to circle the runway because there's too much traffic down below. This happened to me one time. They said that the, the, uh, there was a thunderstorm over the airport. So the, 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 the plane had to circle around the airport a few times to wait for the storm to blow out. And, you know, I could see. I was looking around the plane, and I was every time the, the pilot would come on to say, oh, sorry, folks, we've got to wait another 20 minutes. And I could watch people go, oh, 
you know, the little upper lip started to curl. People started looking at their watches. Pretty soon as an hour went by circling the airport, people started getting frustrated. But can we, <laughs> can we remember that we were 10,000 feet in the air in a metal cylinder flying at hundreds of miles an hour? You know what I mean? Like it's a miracle that that thing gets off the ground and that you can go from coast to coast in six hours or less. What a crazy, amazing time that we are living in. But the funny thing about the human personality is that no matter how much blessing we have, no matter how much, uh, how many amazing technologies are in our life, we always find something to complain about. Something that frustrates us. And this is the attitude that Jesus is going to confront in our scripture. He's going to rebuke a city, an entire city, because of this attitude. And I want you to catch this scripture here tonight, Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he, Jesus, he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. This is the message I've titled The Privilege. And let's take a moment to pray over this service. Father, we come once again by the blood of Jesus. I'm praying that you would confront the entitlement mentality that infects our culture and our hearts tonight. I'm praying, God, that you'd help us to clearly see the blessing and the privilege, the opportunity that is before us every day. And I'm praying, God, help us not to be complainers, but God, help us to be people who appreciate and to take advantage of every opportunity that you have given us tonight. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. Let's look, first of all, at the privilege of Christ. Can you all say the word privilege for me? Privilege. It's a word that's got quite a lot of play in our recent uh, last few years in the culture here. You know, there's much to be said about uh, the privilege of being a certain color or a certain race, a privilege of being a certain from a certain background or privilege of having a certain amount of money. But I want you to know tonight that if you are saved, you have incredible privilege. And you need to realize that. The word privilege is made up of two Latin words. The first is privus, which means private. And the second word is legis, which is the word law. And so to have a privilege simply means to have a personal or a private law, 
a rule that only applies to one person or a small group of people. Merriam-Webster defines it like this. It is a right or a benefit that is given to some people and not to others. A special opportunity to do something that makes you proud. Now, while many people want to lecture us on white privilege or on rich privilege or on Western privilege, I want to tell you about a privilege that we really do have, and that is the privilege of knowing Christ. The scripture speaks, Jesus is speaking to some cities. There are three cities in particular, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And Jesus is trying to communicate to these three cities that you guys are blessed. You have something that other people wish that they had. In the Greek, the word that we could use is the word charis. It's the word that's translated grace. Do you know what grace is tonight? It's grace. It means something that you have that you didn't deserve. Something that you've received, not because you earned it, but because somebody blessed you. It's grace. You got something that, uh, that, that you didn't work for, you didn't earn it, you didn't, uh, you didn't uh, uh, labor and make a paycheck and purchase it. If that, if that describes what you got, it's not grace, is it? Grace is something you've received at the blessing of someone else. Salvation is grace, isn't it? Salvation is a blessing that we didn't deserve. Jesus, when he came to the earth, that was a blessing that the world did not deserve. Can you say amen? God's only begotten son who came to the earth in the form of a little baby that we celebrate on December 25th. Well, did, did the earth deserve Jesus Christ, God's only son? Of course not. But God gave him to us as an incredible grace. The word grace is something that affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. It's goodwill. It's loving kindness. It's something that we don't deserve. And this is what Jesus is describing about these cities. He's saying to these three cities, listen, guys, you have something that other cities wished that they had. The Bible tells us exactly what, that, what it was that they had. Those cities had the works and the miracles of Jesus. Are you still with me tonight? And Jesus is pronouncing woe and rebuke on those cities for a certain reason. It's because he has been to those cities. He has been ministering. He has been preaching. He's been doing miracles and signs and wonders. He has been doing incredible things in those cities. And the Bible says that even after all these amazing things Jesus did, that they did not repent. Now, I just want you to think about that for a second. People say, well, if an angel would come down from heaven, then maybe I'd serve God. 
Or people say, oh, if, if the Lord would wake me up in the middle of the night and I could see his face, well, then, then I would serve God. Or people say, well, you know, you know, if I could see a miracle or if, you know, if, 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 if Jesus would come down and shake my hand, maybe then I'd serve God and I'd believe. Well, here's three cities that had the literal and present physical Son of God in their midst and doing miracles among them and doing great works. And the Bible says these three cities still did not repent. Think of the privilege that they had. They had what you and I wish that we had tonight. Wouldn't it be nice to have Jesus show up and preach this sermon? Wouldn't it be nice to have Jesus show up and pray for a few people that see the sick people get healed? Wouldn't it be amazing to see Jesus himself come and do great works among us? That's what these cities had. They had the scriptures being fulfilled in their time. Have you ever wished you had a time machine and you could go back and visit some of these stories in the Bible? Did you ever wish you could have gone back and seen Jesus feed the 5,000? Did you ever wish you could go back and see Jesus, you know, uh, get tempted by the, by the enemy and then overcome? Don't you wish sometimes you could see it with your own eyes? I tell you, these people saw it. These people saw it with their own eyes. They experienced the living uh, Jesus in their time and in their cities. What had been done in these cities? It says in verse 20, they were cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. It wasn't just anything. It wasn't just that Jesus was passing through and and eating a turkey sandwich. But Jesus was in these cities doing incredible things. Consider with me the kinds of miracles that Jesus did in these three cities. In Matthew 11, It's the centurion's servant who was healed. In Matthew chapter 17, it's in these cities that Jesus tells Peter to retrieve the coin from the fish's mouth. Did you ever wonder about that story? It's time to pay taxes. And Jesus didn't say, oh, forget about the taxes. No, he said, Peter, take your fishing hook, go down to the water, cast it in the the water, And when you pull it back out, there's going to be a fish that's attached to the line. And you can pull that fish out, open its mouth, and in the mouth of that fish is going to be enough money to pay the taxes. When April 15th rolls around, some of you all went fishing, didn't you? Hoping that you could find a, a few golden coins in some fish's mouth. But can you imagine the miracles that Jesus did in these cities in Mark 1? He commands a demon to come out of a man while teaching in the synagogue. In Mark 2, he heals a paralytic who who was dropped in from the roof. In John chapter 4, Jesus heals the son of a certain nobleman. In John chapter 6, he teaches he is the bread from heaven. All of these accounts have occurred in one of these three cities. Can you imagine the miracles? Can you imagine that out of three years of Jesus' ministry, he spends a significant time in these three cities that are mentioned. 
And these are only the ones that the Bible records. Who knows how many mighty miracles were done in these three cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And after all that they had seen, after all that they had experienced, they still did not repent. And what we are tempted to do tonight is we're tempted to point our fingers at them and say, how foolish you are. How could you? How dare you? How is it that you could have Jesus in your presence and not appreciate him? And we can point our fingers back at history at three cities and say, if I lived in that city, I would have repented. Can I tell you tonight, you better be careful when you start pointing fingers. Because the truth is, if you are in this place, if you are alive in 2019, you have more privileges, you have experienced more grace, you have more blessings than these people could ever imagine. The fact that you are here tonight, the fact that you are living in a time of technical, technological advancement, that you are living in a time when the life's, average lifespan of a human being is no longer 30 or 40 years, but it's more like 70 or 80 years, can you imagine? The miracle, the blessing that you and I live in today? Can you imagine that you have the privilege of life? It Was anyone here issued a guarantee that you were going to wake up this morning? Did anybody get a signed document from God that said he promised he would allow you to wake up today? I, I didn't get that. If you did, I'd really love to talk to you. Did anybody here receive a guarantee from God that your life was going to be without flaw or difficulty? No. The privilege of life, the privilege of having air to breathe and water to drink and food to eat. We don't often think of these things as privileges, but they are. <laughs> Just by being born in America, you've won the lottery. There are billions of people around this world that wish they could sit right where you sit tonight. That dream and hope and long for and pray for on their hands and knees for the things that you already have. There are people in this world who right now at this very moment are in prison camps because of their faith. There are people right now, new believers in Jesus, places like Iran, where there is revival happening underground. It is against the law to believe in Jesus in a nation like Iran. But in that nation, there are new believers. There are people who are passionate about their faith, who are being persecuted and killed every day. And here we sit on our comfy chairs, saying, man, it's too cold or too hot or... The sermon's too long or too short, or the lights are too bright or too dim. And listen, we've all got a complaint, don't we? 
we ought to remember that everything that we have from God is a privilege. You are a privileged person. If you are saved in this place, then you have the privilege of knowing God, having revelation. You know, God didn't have to reveal himself, did he? He didn't owe that to us. If God wanted to, he could have just removed himself from the creation. He he didn't owe us anything. He could have left us to our own devices. But he didn't. He gave us the ability to know him to be revealed in our lives, to instruct us and show us how to live. We have an instruction manual, don't we? You want to figure out how to live life? There's a book of Proverbs in here that will really help you. Really help you to not make a bunch of stupid mistakes with your life. There's a book that tells us who we are and who God is and how to know Him. You know, if you buy a vehicle, you buy a car, it comes with an instruction manual. If you want to figure out how many quarts of oil to put in the engine, or if you want to figure out how to change a tire, or if you want to figure out what that button does that has a few letters on it and you don't know what it means, it's a good place to look, right? The instruction manual. The last I checked, babies don't pop out of the womb with an instruction manual attached. But God has given us The basic instructions before leaving earth. That's the Bible. The Word of God. A way to know Him. Do you know how many generations of Christians wished that they could have what I'm holding right now in my hand? Do you know that it's only been a few hundred years since this was even possible to condense all 66 of these books down into a format that I can hold with two hands? You know that before that, the Word of God was stored in scrolls and in jars and handwritten and hand-copied, and the only way you could read it was to go down to uh, to some pedophile's place and allow them to read it to you and interpret it for you. You couldn't read it for yourself. And only kings and only powerful people in powerful positions in rich places in rich countries, only they could hold on the Word of God, but now you've got a smartphone, and in a matter of seconds, you can call up any one of those 66 books, any page, on any moment of time, and what are we complaining about? We're complaining that I don't have enough time to read it. The privilege of Christ. Jesus was sent by the Father to save a lost and broken world. What a privilege. Jesus was God made flesh. I don't know exactly how all of that works, but I do know that where Jesus was before was a lot better than where he ended up. He came from a throne of glory and ended up as a baby in a barn. What a privilege. That Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a death of a sinner. Why? For you. What a privilege. 
Jesus gave us instruction. Not only that, but he was resurrected from the dead, taking power over death and hell and the grave. And Jesus didn't just say, peace, I'm out of here. He said, no. He said, I give this power of resurrection to you to overcome your sins and overcome death in your life. What a privilege. The privilege of being able to know God through salvation. Through repentance and faith. Justification. And tonight, can you imagine how salvation brings us to the Father? That we are adopted into His family? What a privilege. The next time you get the feeling like God owes you something, you ought to think about the privileges you already have. Because it is to these three cities that had something that other cities didn't have. These three cities had so many blessings. And the Bible says after all of that, they did not repent. And it's important for us to remember. Jesus, it wasn't that he showed up on the first day and rebuked them. No, he blessed them first. He allowed them the grace, the opportunity to respond to his blessings. And he does the same with us. But look at verse 20 of our scripture. He says, they did not repent. Can I remind you tonight that your unwillingness to repent is a slap in God's face? When God says, I want to show you grace, I want to show you mercy, I want to allow you to be saved and set free, and I want your life to change for the better, and you say, no, God, I'm pretty good on my own. It's a slap in his face. No wonder Jesus got frustrated and upset by this. Romans 2 verse 4 says that, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, His forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? If you have any understanding about how good God has been to you, it should cause you to do one thing and one thing alone, and that is to say, I'm not worthy. God, what must I do? Why would you do something like that for somebody like me? I find myself like Job in dust and ashes of repentance. Jesus rebuked them because they did not repent. They squandered their privilege. Do you know what they basically said? Jesus came to their town. And he put on a big show, and he healed the sick, and he taught the masses, and he did all these amazing things, and you know what they did in return? <sighs> Meh, big deal. How would you feel if you put on a huge party for somebody? You threw them a, a birthday party, and you purchased gifts, and you did amazing things for them, and you fixed their car, and mowed their lawn, and you, you uh, bought gifts for their children, and you did all these amazing things for them, and they, and they looked at you and said, eh, no big deal. In essence, this is what these cities had done to Jesus, and this is why he begins 
to rebuke them. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 22 that's very helpful for us to understand. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who arranged a marriage for his son. That's a happy invitation, isn't it? It's a happy event that's about to happen. The king is, his son is going to get married. So the king wants to throw a big party for this marriage festival. He sent out servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. But they were not willing to come. You said, man, that's, that's kind of a bummer. You ever been to a wedding? That's a fun occasion, man. There's, there's food, there's music, there's a party, there's all kinds of fun. And so he sends out invitations, but says that they were not willing to come. So he sent out other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed. They're having barbecue. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. Verse 5 says that they made light of it. They went their ways, one to his farm, another to his business. You know what they're saying? Sorry, too busy. Sorry, I've got an appointment that day. Oh, my kids are sick. I can't make it. Oh, I've got a prior engagements. But then it goes to another level here. Look at verse, uh, this is Matthew 22, verse 6. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Killed the messengers. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Whoa. What is the whole lesson of that story? Well, who's the king? The king is God. Who's the son? The son is Jesus. Who's Jesus getting married to? The church. And who are the servants? The servants are the prophets. The people of God who are sending out the message to a lost and dying world. The Bible says that those servants did a few things. They, first of all, they said they were not willing to come. Second of all, it said that they said that they were too busy. And the third thing it said that they killed the messengers. That is the three cities that Jesus rebukes. He said, sorry, we're not interested. No wonder... When the king heard about it, he was furious. Look at verse 23 of our scripture. You, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell. See, this is not a light thing that we're talking about here tonight. This is not something that we should just brush off. Jesus rebuked these cities because he had given them so much. And to whom much is given, much is required. I ask you tonight, what generation has been given more blessings than this one? What nation on the earth has received more blessings than this nation? What generation has been so technologically blessed and physically blessed? What generation has more advantages than any other generation that has ever come before us? It's this generation. It's this people. It's this time. It's you and it's me. Much has been given. Let me remind you, much is required. 
So let's talk about tonight, and lastly, making the most of our privilege. The truth is, we are all privileged by God with something. Especially if you are saved and right with God and on your way to heaven. You have incredible privilege. What will you do with it? It begins tonight with repentance. It is impossible for me to understate how important repentance is in the kingdom of God. I can't overstate it. There's no way for me to tell you that repentance is very important. It's highly important. It's most important. I cannot be hyperbolic with this. Uh, Repentance is the beginning of your relationship with God. There is nobody here who has gotten close to God that it did not start first with repentance. Repentance means when we judge our own sin and we say, Lord, I've been wrong about this and I want to make it right. It's admitting our sin. It's confessing our sins as they are. It's agreeing with God about the truth of what we're doing. But see, the problem is we're prideful. I don't want to repent. I don't want to be honest. I'd rather keep lying to myself. If we're going to allow those blessings to change us, it begins with repentance. Any future blessing, any future relationship with God begins as we respond to His undeserved grace, mercy, with forgiveness and repentance. That's why when you read the New Testament, the same message of John the Baptist is the same message of Jesus when he arrived on the scene, is the same message of the Apostle Paul and Peter and every New Testament writer. The same message again and again is what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Translation. There's an incredible privilege coming to the earth. There's an incredible window of opportunity. Don't miss it. This service is a window of opportunity. So when we're getting ready to come to church tonight, we're saying to ourselves, oh man, I have to go to church again. But we shouldn't, think it, we shouldn't be thinking like that. We should be thinking, what an opportunity we have to be challenged by the word of God again. To have an opportunity to know the Lord, to hear the word preached to be in fellowship together with other saints, to be encouraged and to encourage someone else to have that chance and that opportunity. What a blessing. When we have responsibilities that we have to take care of, when we have children that are driving us crazy, and we say, man, I just wish these kids would leave me alone. Maybe... We should remember that every child that God gives us is a blessing and a privilege to have in our homes for a short time. Privilege. A window, a short window of opportunity. Once it's over, it's gone. Maybe instead of complaining about a spouse, a husband or a wife that's 
not meeting all of our expectations or doing everything the way that we want. Maybe instead of complaining about all the ways that I'm disappointed, maybe we should say, wow, out of 7 billion people on planet Earth, they chose me. What an opportunity. What a blessing. Maybe instead of saying, man, you know, there, there's so many churches in Hampton Roads and Virginia Beach. Man, wh- why? Why this little Potter's House church? Maybe instead we should say, wow, man, there's a vision. There's an opportunity. There's a purpose. There's a future here. There's blessing. Look at what our fellowship is accomplishing. What a, what a privilege. And it's a change of perspective, isn't it? Maybe instead of complaining about having to go to work, having the Monday blues, you know what I mean? Having to get up again and go back to the grindstone. Maybe instead of uh, having that whiny perspective, maybe we could say, you know, at least I'm not breaking rocks with a pickaxe. At least I'm not digging ditches in the Phoenix sun. At least... I have a paycheck coming in so I can provide for my family. What a blessing. What a privilege. What an opportunity. Because I want to tell you this, God will not bless a whiner, a complainer. You remember how God responded to his people as they came out of Egypt. And I close with this reminder tonight. The people who experienced more blessing, more opportunity, more privilege than any other people in in the entire account of the Bible is that nation as they came out of slavery. Point me to anybody in the Bible who saw more miracles than they did. Point me to anybody in the Bible who experienced more of God's visible power than those people. They saw the ten plagues against the Egyptians. They saw the pillar of fire come down and stop Pharaoh in his tracks. They saw Moses strike the Red Sea with his staff and the waters parted and they walked across on dry... They saw all of that. And yet, they complained. They whined. Oh, we're thirsty. We're hungry. Oh, Moses, this is your fault. You just want to kill us, right? You read that story. Nobody saw more miracles than they did. Nobody had greater privilege. Nobody had greater blessings. And yet because they complained, God cursed them. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Little by little, that generation had to die before the next generation could rise up and enter the promised land. A generation that was grateful. A generation that said, thank you, God, we're blessed. A generation that said, yes, we know it's been manna for 40 years, but we're grateful for it. And when they had entered into the promised land, the Bible says the manna stopped falling so that they were able to eat the fruit of the land. Listen, I believe that God's got a promised land for us. He's got a promised land for you. But the promised land does not belong to the complainers. 
It doesn't belong to the people who say, to the miracles of God. It belongs to those who appreciate the privilege, the opportunity that God has set before us tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I am grateful for every opportunity I have to stand. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.